Hello and welcome to HRD Live, your weekly HR and leadership focused podcast. This week we are joined by Dave Ulrich. Dave is a professor at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan and partner at the RBL Group, a consulting firm focused on helping organisations and leaders deliver value. He studies how organisations build capabilities of leadership, speed, learning, accountability and talent through levering human resources. He has helped generate award-winning databases that assess alignment between strategies, organisation capabilities, HR practices, HR competencies and customer and investor results. So happy you can join us, Dave. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. And how are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm very good. It's great to be speaking to you again. It's always a pleasure. Uh, the delight is clearly on my end. <laughs> clearly on my end. Um, so, Dave, we're in a really exciting time uh, for HR right now. What, what do you believe is the most forward-thinking area in the space? You know, it's always, it's always fun to be around the field for more than a few years as I uh, age. And I think sometimes in HR, we run in circles and we reinvent old things. And sometimes we do spirals and we move forward. I think we're moving forward in some very exciting ways. Mm. We're not measuring HR scorecards. We're measuring the impact of HR on the business. We're not measuring what HR does. We're measuring the value HR creates for customers, for investors, for communities. We're not in HR just looking at, at, at the individual. We're not just looking at talent. We're looking at the organization and the systems. We're not looking at events. That's a single activity. Uh, let's change the pay system or let's do a succession plan. We're looking at a series of events that have a sustainable impact over time. And finally, we're not just getting ideas that are fresh and new, but we're having impact with those ideas that, that make a real difference in business results. So those are three or four of the themes that I see that are, that are really building on what we've done. Mm. And um, I mean, just just from my personal point of view, and I've been at the um, the HRD summit this week. Um, a, a lot a lot of the themes were coming out. You know, we were talking about the conscious organisation. We were talking about like you know the, how important mentors are. So I mean, how how do you think that we can build stronger networks of mentors within our organisations for the for the emerging generation? What a wonderful question, because. When the mentor work began, and Paul Thompson and Gene Dalton, two Harvard professors, were some of the innovators in career development and mentoring uh, many decades ago. They were two of my. They happened to be two of my mentors. Mm. Um, speaking of mentors, it was it was about finding an individual who would help you not just coach you through today's skills and problem solving, but would help you clarify and realize your personal values through your interaction with the organization. And so in some ways, mentoring and coaching got blurred. I like to keep them separate. Coaching is about giving me the tools and skills to deal with the challenges I face today, solving my problems. Mm. Mentoring continues to help me discover where I'm going, clarifying my values, and how my life skills fit. Um, in fact, I am uh, continue to have Paul and uh, Bonner Ritchie and others as my mentors, and and I'm, in fact, I'm having lunch with them and they continue to say to me, Dave, are you doing what you thought you'd set out to do 30 years ago? And, and so, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. That was very bad French. But the concept of mentor is continuing to be somebody who guides you and values you and has your interest at mind. Now, where is it shifting? 
instead of a mentor, I may have multiple mentors, plural. Mm. And, and so I may have somebody who mentors me in my work setting at the university. I may have somebody who mentors me in my consulting work as, a, as an advisor in my firm. I may have somebody who mentors me in my service in my church. And mm. so it's that network of mentors, but they, they're not there to solve a specific problem. When I have lunch with Paul or Bonner, it isn't, oh, I'm struggling. This is a challenge I've got with a client. No, they're saying, are you living your values? And what can you do to help live those values more effectively? See, yeah, I think a lot of people might be quite surprised to, to learn that you, you still have mentors because I think a lot of people would deem you the ultimate mentor. Um, so that's very interesting. Do you, do you believe that's something that, you know, everyone needs throughout their entire life? I can't speak for other people. Uh, what about you? Do you have mentors who, who have helped you? I certainly have have had mentors, not not sort of labelled mentors, but they are they've certainly had a huge impact on my life, both personally and professionally. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I absolutely would 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 love to continue to have mentors, um, yeah. but no, not a formalised one, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I I mean I I don't I I will buy Paul and Bonner lunch, but I'm not paying them because mm. not a this is not a fee relationship. This is a they're guiding me and they're counseling me and 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 they've done that for for decades literally and i am so grateful for their for their support i uh now sometimes mentoring and coaching go together uh mm. i've got the privilege of coaching some wonderful leaders and 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 the coaching is not just solving today's problem it's also mentoring them to think about their their style and their skills and how they're going forward but Oh yeah, I, I, at my age, I'm so grateful to continue to have mentors, and I now have a privilege of beginning to mentor others. I'm yeah. doing a book with uh, somebody who happened to have been a doctoral student of mine decades ago, and professionally, he has surpassed me by by light years. And I now get to work with him in writing, but also in mentoring him mm. as he uh, forward in his career. And you know, obviously mentorship is so so important but you know when you when you consider the challenges that HR faces right now which I'm very interested to hear your opinion on do you, do you think mentor mentoring can could help these challenges you know dissolve you know if I look at the uh I am trying to think of a metaphor as I uh think about your great question <laughs> if I think of a quiver of um arrows in a in a quiver I don't know what holds arrows is it a quiver I don't know what holds arrows I think of mentorship as one of the arrows there's a lot of arrows there's a lot of activities in HR succession planning coaching compensation total rewards leadership training there's a lot of arrows what I get interested in is yes those arrows are important these are the activities the tools the things we do I want to know the quiver I want to know what's holding those arrows together and I want to know by the way, I just made this metaphor up, so it's going to break in a minute. Where am I shooting the arrow? So what I'm intrigued in often is not only do we have good arrows in our quiver, but do we have a target that makes sense? And for me, the target that makes sense is creating value for the business. Mm -hmm. HR is not about getting the arrows more streamlined and more effective. By the way, I'm killing this metaphor. <laughs> it's not about getting the arrow better and mentoring better or coaching or succession planning better. It's is there a target I'm shooting at that has an impact? And do those arrows work together as an integrated solution? So I don't shoot one arrow, I shoot a set of arrows. So let the metaphor go. 
Yeah. Um, yes, I think I think we need better tools in HR, mm-hmm. and I think there's some incredible innovation going on. Mm-hmm. But I think we need clarity around what our targets are, what are the outcomes, what's the value we're creating, and and then how do those activities in HR, those individual activities, become a collective solution to to for the targets we work on. Absolutely. Um. And I want to I wanted to just shift our conversation slightly to a more political focus, as obviously over here in Britain we're currently brexiting, and obviously you've got um, you know you, you've got Trump uh, uh, leading leading uh, the US, and I, I thought you know how how do you think globally these two issues are going to impact upon you know general HR and leadership. You know, I I am so glad you raised that. And uh, in, in in transparency, you sent me the questions and I didn't read them because I like to be spontaneous. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about ESG, social responsibility. I think HR plays in a, in a social citizenship role. But I think that citizenship role is not just a carbon footprint. It's not just the planet, the three Ps, planet profit people and planet. I think it's much more complicated. And and so you have Brexit, a political issue. You have Trump. Both of those are around nationalism versus globalization. Do we mm-hmm. how do we manage and defend our borders? We have refugee issues in Europe. In America they're called immigrants. It's the same issue. How do we manage this global system and maintain our personal issues? Um, we have issues around politics. How do I how do I, as an organization, take a political stance, but yet remain apolitical because I don't want to be linked to one political party or another? Yep. How do I take a stance on the very sensitive uh, global issues like the Me Too movement and some of the some of the difficult, responsible issues in society? We're going to have a session actually in London on April 3rd and 4th for our RBL Institute members hmm. where we try to address those issues. In fact, I was working on it today. The tendency is to say, oh, it's about planets, it's about carbon footprint. And Unilever, for example, has done an incredible job with that. But it's more than just a carbon footprint. We're calling it a civic responsibility. Navigating Brexit, do I take a position? Do I not take a position? Managing refugees, do we as a company um, offer jobs to refugees? How do we do some of that? Managing social values. around race or gender, managing religious differences. Um, One of the companies we worked with, do we allow people of different faiths to bring their faith into their work setting? I think that's going to be an issue that we in HR have to manage in a very tender way. Mm -hmm. I don't have a good answer for it. The, The direction I'm sensing, and now this is two months before we do the session where I want to think about it, is we have to learn to navigate paradox. We have to learn to navigate our domestic rights and our global responsibility. We have to learn to navigate individual choice and organizational um, brand. And navigating those paradoxes doesn't give you an answer, but it gives you a process to discover an answer. Mm -hmm. Now, those who just listen to me say, you're being fuzzy, and I am. (laughs) But I know that there is a civic and social responsibility that HR has to step up to. And I hope we can find a way to begin to get there. Yeah. Well, no, I think, you know, it's all a bit vague at the moment. I wasn't expecting you to have, a, you know, a detailed answer. But no, I no, I thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so 
Dave, as a, you know, as a absolute HR guru that you are, uh, and leadership certainly, what do you think is is an emerging trend? What 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 are we what are we set to see in the next few years, do you think? You know, it's interesting because when we look at and I started now, I'll have two levels of this answer. Targets of HR, we continue to say the target of HR is not inside the company, it's outside. It's HR's value creation for customers, for investors, and the one we just added for communities. Mm. So we got a trend of being outside focused. Now that's not new. We've done leadership brand. We've done leadership capital index. How do you build leadership and talent outside in? Culture is not an internal set of values. It's an external identity. So there's a trend that's continuing to get that outside in focus. The value Mm. of HR is not what we do. It's what our stakeholders, customers, investors, and communities get. Trend B is what is it we uniquely contribute to those? And I think there's three, talent, leadership, and organization. Mm. And so in the talent area, one of the things I think we're recognizing is that, yes, you have to be competent. And so we do a lot of work many years ago around uh, skill setting and getting skills and where skills come from. You've got to be committed. You've got to be willing to work hard. How do you find a sense of meaning and purpose at work? Mm. And I think we're finding that there's three things that I'm seeing in the talent space people starting to think about. Believe, become, and belong. How do we enable belief? Purpose-driven organization, meeting my values at work. How do we become better? How do we build a growth mindset? How do we help people be resilient and learning and growth? And belong. How do we create an employee experience? One of the words du jour. But underneath that is connection. And then how does technology enable all of those? How does technology in the new digital world enable belief, become, and belong? Mm. That's talent. Leadership, I could do the same. We've got to get collective, deeper leadership. And clearly, organization. How do we build culture and capabilities that enable us to win? So bucket A, the trend is targets outside, not inside. Customers, investors, community. Bucket B is talent, leadership, and organization to deliver the value to those outside. Yeah, it's interesting Like you touched upon both technology and culture because, you know, recently and having been at the, you know, the big global event, um, you know, that was something that was really, really touched upon. But something that always kind of strikes me is that we talk so much about purpose and well-being within the company, but then there's all these tech-driven, um, I suppose, sim- uh, solutions. But then I feel like that's a slight kind of, contradiction because then tech is is almost destabilizing us all kind of making us become a bit more withdrawn or you know that there's this there's this element of well-being we want to be well we want to do well but then tech is sort of bringing us back into ourselves obviously it's the way we utilize it and we use it but I just wanted to get your idea because I know we spoke about this before and it was a very interesting conversation um sort of saying that you know as the generations go on everyone's becoming well not everyone but some people are becoming slightly more withdrawn and I suppose antisocial you know listening to music instead of having conversations um you know what what do you think how do you think that's going to develop it's a big question not a simple one the first for me is that technology is an enabling tool it's not an end it's a means to an end it Mm. enables and what does technology enable it enables information I mean that's what the digital age is it's just simply a vehicle to access information With that in mind, I think there's been really four levels in HR and other settings of this new information age. 
number one is efficiency. We can do things more efficiently. We could go online and do things efficiently. Number two is incredible innovation. Mm. I get I get a call almost every week. I got the latest, greatest app for an HR tool in staffing and training, uh, in compensation. And we're doing thousands of, of apps and innovation. I think 80 to 90% of the HR digital work is providing insights around efficiency and innovation. Stage three is sourcing the right information. That's getting insights, it's big data, it's distilling information and getting new insights. But I think stage four, where we need to focus going forward is connection. Mm. What experience is about is really connection and technology today is often isolating, not connecting. I think we've talked before, loneliness is a bigger uh, cause of death than opiates. It's a bigger cause of death than obesity. It's a bigger cause of death than smoking. Mm -hmm. I think we need to find ways for technology to get students at a university, not just wearing their, their headsets and listening to music and isolating themselves, but connecting. And so I think the next wave of technology is finding ways technology can better connect people to each other. Now, Facebook in theory does that, but what we're finding is, and I'm not finding it, the researchers are finding it, that those that spend more time digitally connected are less, uh, less well-being. They're more depressed and more discouraged, mm -hmm. and they feel more isolated. And we need to discover in HR ways to use technology to better connect people than isolate people. So you envision that to be one of the next big movers? Big issue. For example, I... Emily, I'm not sure you and I have spent a lot of time together one-on-one, -on -one, but I feel connected to you. And I think the technology has enabled that connection across a distance yeah. that allows me to feel connected. And I feel like, and here's my test, and I'll test that you and I have not talked about this. If I sent you a note and said, Emily, I'm really struggling today with something I think you can help me with because you have a background in mental health, would you be willing to spend some time with me on the phone today? How long would it take for you to respond? Well, as soon as I saw it, I'd instantly yeah. respond. You know, to me, that's the essence of connection is yeah. that we build perhaps, a, a, I don't know the right word. We build a, um, a link through technology. And I feel like through the things we've shared over, over the years, you just have a wonderful heart and a wonderful soul. And I can feel that even though I've not ex experienced it firsthand. But when I make a bid, and that's what the psychologists call it, I make a bid that I need to go to that next level. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are in gamification, if they send that out, they're going to go, are you gaming me, guy? No, that's not that's not connection. Yeah. And and yet and by the way, vice versa, I've I've said that to people. I've said, you know, if you need I had somebody I'm coaching sent me an email the other day at 2 a.m. And they said, I I'm struggling with something. I need your help. And I said, give me a phone number. And we were oh. on the phone at 2.15. Wow. I mean, well, I, I do what, question, do you ever sleep? Because we're obviously in different time zones. And whenever I send you an email, you instantly email back. And it's a, it's an odd time for you most of the time. I, uh, I, <laughs> I have weird sleep patterns. And, <laughs> I can um, see that. The, the problem is I get ideas in my head. And I have said ideas are sometimes my best and worst friends. Because once the idea gets in my head, I can't get it out till I, till I have a conversation with it. So... <laughs> By the way, that sounds pathological. And as a mental health person, you'd probably put me in therapy. So, <laughs> I'm just worried about your sleeping, Dave. No, just... Well, there's, a, there's an old <laughs> idea called, and farmers used to do it, it's called split sleep. So I sleep three or four hours, I'm awake a couple hours, and I sleep three or four hours. Right. So, it's like a, it's, you're like a cat napping. <laughs> I'm a cat napper. Um, but I, I really believe in this idea of connection. And it's, 
it's where I hope that technology takes us, that it's not, I go to conferences and I see the latest and greatest apps and I go, that's nice. That's a quiver. That's the bad metaphor. Mm. That's the arrow. How do we connect with people in a more fundamental way? Mm. And how do we use technology to enable that connection? I hope that's where we can begin to help HR become, uh, become more powerful. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Um, so, Dave, you know I could talk to you all day, but I've, I've got one more question, sadly. Um, I want to talk to you about the generations in the workforce because, as as we're all aware now, there's five generations in the workforce. Um, well, you know, what, what just from your perspective, what, what are the biggest challenges? You know, there's, there's I guess, reward, well-being. You know, what does that mean to them all? Uh, the personalisation aspect. But, you know, what do you think is, like, the main challenge? Because I know a lot of HR people do you struggle with this? Um, I'm going to be a little contrarian. And again, I didn't read the questions in advance. <laughs> I'm obviously a baby boomer and yeah. others are not. I was born between 46 and 64. Um, my children are Gen X. Well, there's Gen X. My children are not Gen X. They're Gen Y. They were born in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, actually, they are Gen X. And and our grandchildren are the next. One of the things we find is that across the five generations, some of the human needs are the same. We need to believe, we need to be long, we need to become better. So sometimes I think we overdo generations. In fact, what I'm finding, because it's my generation, those of us in our 60s, we are almost rediscovering the 20s. Mm. 20s was a time, what am I going to do with my life? Where do I find meaning, belief? Where do I, what do I, how do I grow? Who do I belong to? My wife and I are finding, as, as we, are, we don't have children at home, obviously, we now are kind of like our 20s when we were first married. We're rediscovering some of those issues. So Yeah, that's fun. Some of those fundamental issues don't go away. Yeah. Why we work, how we go. Now, how we go about work does vary, obviously. Um, using technology to enable discussions, using um, having a, a mindset of not a lifetime career. I've been at the University uh, of Michigan for 35 years. Now, I've moved in and out of that career, but uh, but it, I think m our, our children and our grandchildren will not have the same career. I know somebody who's very talented, and she's been at her job in a number of years, and she's now moving to another job where she can practice some of her skills. And and I think that, I think that career mobility is going to be more, not less. But but why you're doing that doesn't change. So, in fact, one of the things I've been thinking about lately in universities, we'd go to school to get a degree. Mm -hmm. I want a degree. I've been coaching a university on this. You, you want a degree in, in science or in math or technology or literature. And, and we've known in the last 10 years that the degree doesn't guarantee a job. So you now want to be certified. You want to get a certification in Microsoft technology or in in SAP or some other certification so that it leads to a job. I think we're going to see education moving to a third level. It's not about the degree. It's not about the certification. It's about the customization. Mm -hmm. Why do I go to a university? I'm, um, um, and some of it may be a degree. Um, I'm a parent. And again, I was struggling. I don't know the British equivalent, but I'm a parent. I've got two kids in school. I have a job doing whatever. And I'm the head of the PTA, the Parent Teachers Association for my children. Yeah. We're trying to set a vision for the, for the PTA. I'm going to go back into the university and take a couple of courses on purpose-driven organization, organization strategy, managing people, 
And those courses are going to have direct impact on my role as the head of the PTA. And so we are now, I think, going to begin to see customized education as a source of solving issues in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I think there's still a value in a degree. There's value in certification. But I don't think we've done the customized learning around solutions as much as we probably have. I think that's kind of what, what we're going to start seeing in careers, that I need a baseline degree. I need certification skills, but then I need to be able to adapt that to, this, to the problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, as always. So insightful. Um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, thank you for your time. And I, um, I'm not going to let you leave. As oh, are you, you not? Okay. You <laughs> your, uh, your career and agenda. What's one message you'd like to leave for HR people? What's one legacy message you'd like to leave? Um, oh, you're putting me on the spot now, Dave. Um, I think just to keep as authentic as possible. Um, you know, people are the heart of the organisation. It's not the other way around. Um, they're there to... Technology's there to enhance their jobs. They're not there to enhance the technology. And um, and I, I just think that sometimes targets and um, all sorts, you know, things like that, you get blindsided. But actually... You know, if you care about the people, then, you know, from what from what I've found and speaking to so many HR professionals is, you know, like you've mentioned the likes of Unilever, Microsoft, you know, the, the CEO of Microsoft, he's he's fantastic. He's he's all he's all about the well-being. He cares so much about his staff and they've never they've never been in a stronger position. And I definitely think that, you know, when you define that culture, it's somewhere that not only do people want to work, but they, they care and they want to they want good results for the company. No one wants to work in a place they don't believe in. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say that really. I think that's from the breadth of who, who I've spoke to over the years, definitely. I'll just add one word. Amen. <laughs> oh, thank you so so much, Dave. Um, and uh, please do tune in to watch Dave. And uh, every week, every Thursday, we'll have a, a new exciting speaker for you but Dave definitely been an absolute highlight thank you so so much thank you thank you bye